What's up, everybody? This is Justin, a.k.a. Pilch. Welcome back to the Triple R Podcast. It's our fifth episode where we will be discussing Survivor Series 1987. As always, I'm joined by my two co-hosts. First and foremost, the behemoth from Bonheim, Mr. Warren Lee. How are you doing today, sir? Doing uh, fantastic. It's a little chilly here in the basement of the Leaf family compound, but I am fired up to talk about the first ever Survivor Series here in 1987. That's fantastic. That makes one of us. <laughs> Next up would be Christopher Lee, the monster from Menans. How are you doing today, sir? Well, let me tell you something, brother. I'm here. I'm ready to talk about this Survivor Series. And I'm ready to get in that ring. And I'm going to tear my opponent's head off. Okay? Because my team, we're going to be the lone sole survivors in this Survivor Series. Oh, yeah. Awesome. That was a great Honky Tonk Man impression. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I would have known. I would have cut a promo with my darn self. (laughs) I would have done better. I'm trying not to wake up the baby. No, I can't cut a real promo. Let me tell you something, Danny, about hard times. <laughs> hard times are when you have to watch a Survivor Series for three hours. You know, that's you don't know half the contestants. Now. Those are hard times, Daddy. <laughs> they never tell you anything anymore. Everybody back then was they were all, let me tell you something. Ooh, let me tell you something. <laughs> they had they had to tell you something. Let me tell you something. That's for sure. You know, the information wasn't readily available back then. Someone had to tell you. You couldn't go look it up. What are you gonna go to the library like a dork? No. Yeah, you gotta go, you gotta look in the Cyclopedia Britannica. You gotta look through the the what is the library card index code thing to find out where the book is. The Dewey Decimal System, Warren. Yes, the Dewey Decimal System. You know Albany High failed you. I'll be happy with a lot of people. We had we had computers and stuff. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh boy. Anyhow, oh, boy. we're here to talk about Survivor Series 1987. Uh, That's right. This pay per view took place on November 26, 1987. It is a very short two hours and forty five minutes. Took place in Richfield, Ohio, which I had to look up is a suburb of Cleveland. Mm-hmm. On the microphone, giving commentary this evening is Jesse the Body Ventura and Gorilla Monsoon. The first thing that stood out to me in this pay per view was when I looked at the card, there's only four matches on the card, which yeah. compared to everything else we've done, that's very, very light. <laughs> yeah, that, that also stuck out to me, Pilt. What is not light is the 20-minute <laughs> time limits on some of these matches. Every, the, the shortest match was 20 minutes. Uh, the rest of them, the uh, 24, 22, uh, one was a Zoftig 37. And then there's another segment that we'll get into that was also uh, stretching the time out a little bit. Yeah, this was a... Uh... This was a thing that happened. Uh, 1987, I was a year old. Chris, I believe you're about eight months old. Is that correct? Six months. Six months old. Okay. 
which Warren that that puts you at what uh, three and a half. Yes, that sounds about right, Pilch. Oh, so you remember this pretty vividly then? <laughs> Not even close. <laughs> <laughs> Not All even right. close. So as always, I'll be the host this evening. Chris and Warren will debate the four matches we have in front of us. I will score them based on however I please, and we'll announce winner at the end. So with that being said, opening thoughts on the pay-per-view. I'll kick it to Chris first. Go ahead, sir. Well, first thing I noticed for this pay-per-view was uh, Jesse the Body comes out in all snake everything. <laughs> he was rocking snakeskin boots, snakeskin pants, and a snakeskin jacket. Looking real good. Um, I love Jesse and Gorilla. That's like the classic um, you know, commentary team for the WWF. I love their banter. They had a really good relationship. Uh, and yeah, there were only four, four total matches. All Survivor Classic Survivor Series style. You know, this is the first time they're doing this. They're trying something out. And ooh, who knew that it was going to be uh, was going to be a real doozy, uh, to say the least. But uh, I was really excited about this first match. Um, the rest of them, I, I wasn't, you know, too worried about. But I thought the first match was going to be the one to take the cake. And I was sorely mistaken but i'll save that for when we get into the match absolutely you're finally learning <laughs> so warren uh opening thoughts um as you guys both mentioned i was uh opening thought was uh jesse the body and gorilla on commentary i was here for it um they're they were always a pretty good team when it came to commentary um they didn't have the traditional well, what we became traditional, the video package to lead into the pay-per-view. But uh, the one that they did air, I thought the the bass guitar on that was really slapping. Um, this was slapping the bass. Yes. Uh, this was the very first Survivor Series and the first non-WrestleMania pay-per-view that the WWF put on. Um, and, uh, I know as we were talking about, uh, uh, this during the week, we were kind of trying to figure out because in other pay-per-views, there's always, you know, the storylines that are leading into the pay-per-view and we weren't sure what in the world the storylines were leading into this pay-per-view, but, uh, it was kind of put together, um, probably by myself, but, the way that they captain, they figured out who the captains were of the teams were the main one captain was the champion, whatever division that was. So the Intercontinental Champion at the time was Honky Tonk Man, and his main rival was the Macho Man Randy Savage, who captained the other team. Same thing with the women's match. Same thing with the Zofdig tag team match, where the captains were one was the tag team champs, the other was the number one contender, basically. And then same thing for the main event with Hogan and Andre. Um, and this pay-per-view was also the WWF's answer to WCW Starcade, which usually aired right around Thanksgiving as well. And an interesting tidbit, uh, the WWF went to all the, well, all the, there was probably only one or two, 
cable providers and told them if you air Starcade, you are not going to be able to air some or Survivor Series. And um, a good majority of the companies decided not to air Starcade and just aired Survivor Series. Um, so that's probably the, I'd say, the first shot in the WWF versus WCW uh, long-standing rivalry. Yeah, based on what we watched, I think that might have been a mistake. But <laughs> we'll we'll get to that. We'll get to that. All right, so let's go ahead and ring the bell. Let's get this uh, party started. All righty. So our first match of the evening is team number one, which is team Honky Tonk Man, which consists of. Harley Race, Hercules, the Outlaw Ron Bass, Dangerous Danny Davis, and the Honky Tonk Man. Team number two consists of Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, uh, Brutus the Barber Beefcake, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Jake the Snake Robert. Name, please. And uh, the Macho Man. <laughs> you, so you, I, I, I just can't I, with your besmirching of Hacksaw Jim Duggan. I have a few thoughts on this match, which I will lay out after you guys speak. Uh, I forget who went first. Was it? I think it was Chris. So Warren, why don't you go ahead and take this one? All right. So the first thing that stood out to me was um, as we watched all of this on the WWE Network, they re-recorded Steamboat's entrance theme and redid the vocals for uh, Howard Finkel because Ricky the Dragon Steamboat's theme was the same music as... If you remember the late 90s Chicago Bulls when they did their starting lineups music, uh, it's a if you can figure that out, was it really? Yeah, um, so that song was his theme music, and obviously, they don't have the licensing for it, so they laid down the generic steamboat music and had to redo the vocals for Fink, so it just it just was a little off, and I just noticed that. And it was very weird, speaking of steam, Steamboat, to see that seven months prior at WrestleMania three, Ricky Steamboat and Macho Man Randy Savage fought for the Intercontinental title in probably one of the best matches of all time. And now here, seven months later, they're teammates on the same team. Um, We get into the match. It's a lot of... A lot of work and holds, a lot of rest holds. There was a 10-minute arm wrench of Brutus the Barber Beefcake that went through the entire uh, honky-tonk team. And it was just, I don't understand how his arm was still connected to his shoulder. Uh, But they really worked uh, that arm down to, um, to almost nothing. Um. 
Holly Race had a, a did a shoulder breaker on Ricky the Dragon Steam over here early in a match that I thought was the softest shoulder breaker I had ever seen. Uh, <laughs> Jake Roberts will always love Jake Roberts and the short arm clothesline that led to the that always leads to the DDT is always 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 phenomenal. Um, punishing, punishing, yes. And then it gets down the the faces are up. I think there were. There was Macho Man was left. Um, let me see if I can scroll down here. Macho Man, Jake Roberts, and Ricky Steamboat were left on the face side of the team with just Honky Tonk Man at the end for the heels. And I, I'm always a fan of a heel. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm leaving. Uh, kind of finish. Um, and I swear that there's no possible way that that referee counted ten by the time they called the match. Um. He just said, all right, he's not coming back. I'm just going to call it and ring the bell. All in yeah, all, no. all, it was a decent, it was, it was an okay match. I could have done without the 10-minute arm wrench on Bruce DeBar Beefcake. Um, but I guess it, it was what it was. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I, I love the fact, that's my favorite part of the match, actually, is that the Honk Talk Man got down to three versus one. It was just like, nah. I'm good. I'm just I'm gonna take off. And he just left. And that was the end of the match. And does that make him a bad guy? I don't think so. I think oh, it makes no, him a I, smart guy. I was always a I always liked the honky talk man. Um I don't think he's a better intercontinental champion than a macho man, but you know, I I, mm. I would I expected I got what I expected from the honky talk man in that. Mm. All right, fair enough. Uh, Chris, give me a little uh, breakdown here. So, uh, this match, on paper, I thought was going to be really good. Love Macho Man. I like his feud with the Honky Tonk Man. I thought the Honky Tonk Man is a great heel. Um, I even like him. How do you feel about Outlaw Ron Bass? You big fan? Had no idea who he was. Had no idea who the (laughs) dangerous... Danny Garvin guy is or Danny Wolfman? Danny, Danny Davis. Danny Davis. Danny he was Davis. A, Dangerous he was Danny Davis. He was a referee for a while. He turned heel. Uh at WrestleMania three, he was actually on the team with uh the Hart Foundation when they fought the British Bulldogs. Um yeah, no, he he was the, I think the first the WWF's first like heel referee that turned into a wrestler. Well, so before, I never heard before you guy. finish, Chris, I have a theory about Dangerous uh, Danny Davis. Oh, yeah. What's that? I think he was dangerous because um, he wears a diaper throughout this entire match. I don't know if you guys <laughs> noticed that or not. <laughs> I can't say that I was looking to see if he was wearing a diaper. Or oh, not. no. He, he, he is clearly wearing a diaper, which I think the danger comes from he could just diarrhea all over you at any point in time which is <laughs> dangerous if you ask it me. is you dangerous may, that is indeed you may have a point you may have a point um continue chris sorry so i mean uh you know first miss elizabeth oh, a pure beauty just a mm-hmm. pure natural beauty okay um harley race i also wrote down 
That is the softest shoulder breaker. Like he gently lays him down upon his knee and then on the mat. Like I think Harley Race was just on his way out the door. Like he just so far out of his prime at this point. So far out of his prime. He and you know, him and Hacksaw actually getting counted out and eliminated from this Survivor Series matchup. Um, and I think that was more of Harley Race realizing, hey, I need to get out of here. Like, just stay. Yeah, just, he, was, he was blown up. I made that note, yeah, too. Yeah, he was super blown up. He just tells Hacksaw while they're grappling outside, hey, just stay out here. Just, like, let's get counted out. We'll go in the back, you know, and just hang out. Like, this is. <laughs> and Hacksaw's like, yeah, all right, let's let's do it. And then they got counted out. Um, I said, and I also wrote down, because. Last episode, Pilch, you made a note that uh, Macho Man is a terrible tag team partner, and I was I was excited to see maybe with you know maybe back in the day he was any better. He was he wasn't a little better, but he was all over the place. He was all over the place, running up and down the apron, jumping off the apron, arguing with the ref on the outside of the ring, arguing with the ref inside of the ring, jumped in a couple of times. He was all, and I wrote down how many bumps of cocaine did Macho Man take in the back? Because I'm saying it's over under, over under three, I'm taking the over because he was all over the place. Uh, And... (laughs) <laughs> I, Elizabeth looked had a very concerned look on her face like the entire time. She like was trying to look, you know, happy to be there and with a smile and like, you know, wave to the fans, but she just looked like Randy Savage's heart was going to explode like any second and she was just going to have to cart him out. Um she is the queen of the concerned look on her face. Yeah. <laughs> she always just she's like seconds away from crying. I mean, can you um, blame her? <laughs> no. <laughs> Her husband was just on coke the entire time of their marriage. Like, what are you going to do? Uh, I wrote down also, uh, Jake the Snake might have skipped leg, skipped a couple of leg days. Um, just has, like, really chicken legs, which I thought was really funny. Like, his upper body, like, it looks normal. Like, I know back in the day, you know, maybe, like, 70s, ish you know he was a little bigger than he is now in this 87 pay-per-view but his legs are just like real thin like super super little like little tiny legs and i just noticed that um and then i wrote down that the heels were doing a better job of following the rules of the match than the faces because i don't think the heels jumped into the ring at all they all stayed on the apron they didn't bother the ref either refs and they never jumped in without being tagged in but the the faces they were all over the place a lot of it was macho man but you know ricky steamboat jumped in a couple of times i think jake jumped in a couple of times um who else was on their side it was uh ricky steamboat jake macho man who am i missing hacksaw the barber beefcake beefcake yeah but they were all like in and out of the ring you know, causing distraction. And then the heels didn't even like use it to their advantage. Like normal heels do. They still were like 
getting tags in, coming in, waiting one, you know, taking their turns. Like there was no gang up. It, all that was on the face side, which I thought was very interesting. They were very subtle with their with their gang up. They waited till the person was in the corner and the, the distraction was going on and then got little tiny shots. Nothing major, though. Maybe I just didn't notice it then because I just I wasn't seeing it. I saw all the all the shady stuff was happening on the face corner. And I just thought that was interesting that the faces were, you know, the faces were acting more heel than the heels were acting heel. Mm-hmm. I just thought that was interesting. Um, but yeah, team, team macho gets the win. And, uh, I do commend, uh, I do, uh, along with you, I do like the, you know, honky tonk. He saw jig is up. I'm, you know, I'm clearly outnumbered. I'm getting at like, this is, this match is for nothing. Like I'm still the champ. Like, what am I doing? Why am I risking it? And he hightails it out of there. Very smart and veteran move from the honky tonk, man. <clears throat> yeah, I, you know, I, obviously I made that point already, so I definitely agree with it. I have a few more notes on this match. First, Macho Man and the Technicolor Dreamcoat is a musical I would definitely go see. <laughs> you didn't like his robe? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, I thought it was great. Yeah. Um, I thought when uh, Brutus came out, he had those uh, gardening shears. Yeah, mm-hmm. edge clippers. And I thought to myself, like, you probably shouldn't cut hair with those. So he should be Brutus the gardener beefcake instead of the barber. <laughs> well, how, interesting. How, how are you going to cut his, his tights open with, uh, with, with actual clippers? He had to have used the garden shears on his tights, too. He, he, he's Brutus? a barber. Brutus Beefcake was not supposed to be a barber. He but was he just is. supposed to be. Hold on. There's a reason why they call him the barber. It was added on later. So he was just Brutus Beefcake, like this Chippendales dancer. Mm-hmm. Why has the, you know, the bow tie and all that stuff. Yep. He had a match again. It was a hair versus hair match that he won and he shaved the other person's head very poorly. So then he st- they started calling him the barber as like a joke, and it just kind of stuck. I don't remember who he had a match with. I don't remember who it was with, but that's how he got it. It was like just some, it was for a, it was a gimmick for a match, and he, ju- he just kept it because he was just using it as like antagonizing the other guy, and then that other guy just like went the wayside and then he just like kept doing the barber thing. Right. So he brings out hedge clippers makes perfect yeah. sense. Right. Yeah. Oh, I, I figured out the match and I probably should have just known this off the top of my head, but WrestleMania three had the match against Adrian Adonis. Ah. Uh... And he won, or so no, it was he had the match against Adrian. Ad- Piper had the match against Adrian Adonis. Piper wins, um, and Beefcake was the one that did the actual shaving, and that's where his nickname, the barber, came in. Right. But then he brought on the garden shears, which you know, was yeah, just which is what he cuts hair with. 
him, him being over the top. Uh, other than that, ooh, I have a question for you guys. <clears throat> okay. And this will be reflected in the points, so choose wisely. Ooh. Okay. If you could choose either Miss Elizabeth or Jimmy Hart, Bobby the Brian Heenan, who would you choose? <laughs> choose okay, so choosing what what are the parameters? Are we choosing a manager? A manager. So you either get Miss Elizabeth or you get Jimmy Hart and the Brian. Well, you get Jimmy Hart and Brian. <laughs> yes, you get Jimmy and Brian. Oh, this is like Miss Elizabeth, my wife. Is Miss Elizabeth my wife? Easy, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Just wondering what I get to do with Miss Elizabeth. <laughs> Don't know. Don't have uh, don't have our 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 my sister in law listen to this portion of the podcast. I'm just wondering. I wish I had that drop. Tell Macho Man I got less than my eyes from Miss Elizabeth. Are you sure about that? Yeah, I'm sure. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure. All right. Well, I mean. This is strictly managerial purposes, Christopher. Strictly managerial purposes? Oh, then Jimmy and the Brian. Obvi. I I I will take Jimmy Hart and Bobby the Brain Heaton. Uh who? Please, all right, let's just all right, I'm not even gonna get into it. Just <laughs> he's ringing the bell. He's ringing the bell. Uh, okay, before we get to the next match, um, one thing I did research on this particular match was that this was one of the first matches that Macho Man wasn't the heel, and I think he still played into a lot of heel tendencies before he went on full babyface as like is his meteoric run to you know one of the best ever. Mm. Macho Man style didn't. I don't remember the Macho Man style really changing heel to face. Um, maybe it, some. It, it, it did though some... to an extent. Okay. I think if you watch this match, you can you you understand that like his style is the same, but his mannerisms are a little different. I got you. Um, in between this match and the next match, uh, I don't usually like to talk about video packages and interviews because you know I think. You, you see him and, you know, it's it's filler. However, they did interview Andre the Giant and his team for the main event. And one thing I do want to touch on is that they interviewed all the other guys, all the guys on the team. They're like, yeah, we're going to win. And, blah, 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 blah. and everyone was so excited. And then they interviewed Andre. And he said he was only here for one thing. And it was Hulk Hogan's soul. Yes. And I, I wrote my notes. We are going to see a murder. <laughs> like, <laughs> who, who in their right mind is going to tell Andre anything in 1987? It's, it's sure as hell not going to be me. Andre, like, <laughs> seven, four, 
500 pounds, uh, 100% the boss of the locker room. Like nobody's, he, he could have said whatever he wanted in that, in that interview. And then everybody would just be like, okay, Andre said it. Guess that's what's going to happen. <laughs> I, the only note I wrote down was I had my matches or my notes from the last match. I have one line of notes that just says, we're going to see a murder. And then my notes for the next match. And I vividly remember why I wrote that because I was so startled as it was going on. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like Andre the Giant looked me in the eyes. He's like, I'm only here for Hogan's soul. It's like, you can have it. Did anybody oh, else notice that it seemed like Andre had maybe triple the amount of teeth than anybody else? Oh, I know. I thought his teeth were really tiny. Yeah, well, yeah, but he's got so many of them. He, right. It looked like he had more than he needed. And then I thought. Wait, what if his teeth are normal size, but he's just so big oh. and it looks tiny? Mm. Anybody want a peanut? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little uh, Princess Bride joke. All right. Oh, love Princess Bride. <clears throat> so the next match we have is the women's Survivor Series match. Uh, team one led by the sensational Sherry. Features, oh man, I'm embarrassed. Uh, I wrote down here Glamour Girl 1 and Glamour Girl 2. Oh, Jesus. Real Le- names. Le- Le- I, didn't, Kai, I didn't get her name Judy either. Martin. Leilani Kai and Judy Martin, the Glamour Girls. Sure. Uh, Don Marie, who is from Newington, Connecticut, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Uh, Donna Christianello. Sure. Uh, <laughs> Sensational Sherry, who was the champion at the time. Uh, versus Velvet McIntyre, Rockin' Robin, uh, JBA number one, JBA number two, oh, and the Fabulous Mula. You're not even going to try? No, I'm not. <laughs> Um, and I'll and, I, and I'll we, tell you why we we okay. could do this we could do this podcast for twenty years. The glamour girls and the jumping bomb angels might come up one more time, maybe one more. I don't know if they're going to come up again. Right, and I said maybe, and I'm saying twenty years of doing a pay per view every week, we might talk mm-hmm. about them once more. So if Bobby the or Bobby, if Gorilla Monsoon. And uh, Jake the Snake, Jesse Ventura, can't bother to learn their names. Jesse the Body. Uh, Excuse me, did you see what Jesse the Body was wearing? Yeah, he was. I know. Mm -hmm. know. Okay, thank you. (sighs) If they can't bother to learn their names as they're calling the inaugural inaugural Survivor Series pay-per-view... And that was like, why should I have to? <laughs> Inaugural. Anyhow. Okay. Uh, Chris, thoughts on the match? <laughs> I was very pleasantly surprised by this match. Um, I was shocked to find out that the fabulous Moolah 
was 65 during this. And I meant meant to look up her age and I didn't, but 65, my goodness. Yeah. And she was out there taking bumps and doing all this stuff. She threw a drop kick. I thought it was crazy. Um, She looked great in the ring. She looked great in the ring. And what else? I said, uh, so I have (laughs) Mula is moving pretty good for 65. Uh, I said Rock and Robin is green AF. I thought Rock and Robin was terrible. She looks so bad in that ring, and I was like, "She, this must be her first match." And she's just like never wrestled before or since. I had to look up Rock and Robin. Turns out she comes from wrestling. She is the half sister of none other than Jake the Snake Roberts, which I thought was insane. Because she looked so bad in this match. She didn't look like she knew how to hit. She didn't look like she knew how to hit the rope. She didn't look like she looked like she couldn't take a bump. Like all her moves were very sloppy and like erratic and all over the place. It was crazy. Um, Not to say that they were doing anything like too crazy. It was a lot of of cross bodies, a lot of hair drags, a lot of, um, there was a few drop kicks and snap mares and arm bars and like that was pretty much it you know but she still couldn't i don't know it's like she didn't have control of her body i just did i, I wasn't a fan of rockin robin um <laughs> my next note is jba for the jumping bomb angels i wrote jba are dope <laughs> the jumping bomb angels are the saving grace of this match they put to shame Every single person in that ring. And I am I am including I am including the men's matches. The jumping bomb angels were the best part of this pay-per-view. Okay, no, that I agree with. That I agree with. But I I'd have to lump in the work of sensational sherry in this match was was not to be denied. Sensational Sherry, very good in this match. Even the Glamour Girls, very good in this match. Yes. But they were, with how good they were, jumping bomb angels outshined everyone. And I mean everyone in this pay-per-view. Jumping bomb angels were the best part of the pay-per-view. Let me ask you a question. Mm -hmm. Who had the most eliminations in this match? Oh, who had the most eliminations? I honestly don't know. Warren? Um, if I were to guess, mm-hmm. there's a there's a whole bunch of people tied at one. There's only one person that had two. If I had to guess, I'd have to. I'd probably go with Sherry. Uh, Sherry had one. Hmm. So who had the most eliminations? Probably uh, somebody. Velvet McIntyre. Velvet McIntyre. Okay. So, you know, I thought I thought I thought you were gonna say Rock and Robin, and I was gonna throw my I, I was gonna throw my phone. Uh, no, Rock and Robin only pinned uh, Don Marie. 
Yeah. Or it, it looks like I wrote Damon Murray, so we'll call her Damon Murray. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, she had the same amount of illuminations as Sensational Sherry, who did beat Rock and Robin. Hmm. In case you were curious. Oh, I forgot to mention uh, Jimmy Hart's bump off the apron. That was really good. He told oh, no, a- how quick Jimmy Hart changed outfits. Oh, he like, was he, Jimmy Hart was all over this pay per view. He came out like times. Yeah, and every time something different wearing. Yeah, like, he had a different he, jacket for each person he was managing. He, he must have been exhausted at the end of this three hours. <laughs> he was out for the first three matches. Yeah, he was yeah. out there for the one, but the first three matches. And during the there. promos before the matches. And the promos. Hardest working man in re- the wrestling business, in my opinion. Jimmy Hart, man. <laughs> he didn't have to shimmy up a pole to get a sock full of dollars this time either. <laughs> no, this is this is prime Jimmy Hart. No shimmying up a pole all year. All right. So, Chris, do you have anything else, or were you all set? No, no. That's I'm done, man. All right, uh, Warren. So, I know we'll get to our our award later but this match is the early favorite for the the cream of the crop i thought that this was the early favorite for match of the night it was non-stop it was fast pace there was a lot of slingshots there were a lot so of so many slingshots there were a lot of non-tags where the the other wrestler just brought the uh the the girl in um, I thought uh, the jumping bomb angels and sensational Sherry's work in the ring was was top notch. Um, and really, like like Chris said, with the jumping bomb angels, really put everybody else to shame. Um, and I didn't write it in my notes, but I do want to the the uh, glamour girls were also really really good in this match too. Um, I. I didn't like that Gorilla Monsoon gave up on trying to figure out the Bomb Angel's name. I'm sorry. I just I just wish he would have uh would have pressed on, but it turned into the jumping bomb angel who was ever in the ring. That's JBA. But uh <laughs> the Moolah's team gets to win with the jumping bomb angels being the uh the sole survivors. Um and I, I it's going to be very hard for this this tag team smorgasbord and also the main event with Hogan and Andre to knock that off from the cream of the crop match of the uh, of the pay-per-view. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, my notes are, I you know, as I had previously stated, you know, Jimmy Hart's all over the place in this pay-per-view the entire time. I think some kudos have to be given to a man that will literally change a suit four times in three hours. Uh, the fabulous moolah looks solid here. I thought, you know, she had a couple good mat wrestling moves. Um, obviously, she looked a little tired, you know, after about 10, 15 minutes. I thought they hit her well, which is a good thing. I like the fact that I don't know a lot about what was going on in the, you know, the WWF at this point, but. I would have to venture a guess the Jumping Bomb Angels were relatively unknown, and I think they did a really good job of putting them over in this match, which 
you know, I, I, I think is great. Uh, after that, um, I like the reference to Gorilla Monsoon and the Fabulous Moolah having an affair in 1936. <laughs> I, that was good. That was good. I thought there was a lot of dragons in this match, like more so than any tag match I've ever seen, where it's like whenever someone had a free moment, they they drug an opponent into the ring, just ripped yeah, them right I don't, over the top I don't rope. Think it was an actual tag the whole match. Everything was, I'm no. bringing this in. Um, that and you touched on this, Warren, which I which I agree with. There is a lot of slingshots in this match, but they were all performed so well that every time one happened, I was so excited. And especially <laughs> the Glamour Girls, like they sold them so well, where they would like fly up and just have this like scared look on their face, and then just like eat the ground. And, and they did and, it numerous times. Like if you've seen a slingshot in nowadays, uh, maybe not so much, but I mean in recent years, it's always going to be the one that goes right into the corner. But the one to just right. do it in the air and they land and do the face bump is not often seen, but it fit so well with this match. Um, I, I will say that again. I like the fact that they put over the jumping bomb angels. I thought that was great. Especially when it got down to that the the tag team dynamic at the end, where it was the Glamour Girls versus the JBA, um, the Angels cleaned up really quick, which I think helped rise their stock. I know they won the tag team titles not that long after this pay per view, and I think sometimes this is what current WWE F whatever you want to call it misses is it's good storytelling because. You, you take a tag team that's relatively unknown, put them with some other superstars that are well-known, and you have them gain the upper hand and look like a threat, and then they come across, win a title, and carry it forward. And I thought I thought the storytelling in this match was great. And uh, we can ring the bell on it, if, as long as you guys have nothing else to say. I think we're good. Moving on. All right. So the third match of the pay-per-view is our tag team Survivor Series elimination match, which uh, give me about 45 minutes and I will run through all the participants here. <clears throat> so our heel team, uh, team number one, uh, consisted of Axe and Smash Demolition, uh, Greg Valentine, and Dino Bino. Dino Bravo. Dino Bravo. Sure. Dino Bino, the Dream Team, uh, Bret Hart and Jim Anvil, the Hart Foundation, Haku and Toma, the Islanders, Boris Zuko and Nikolai Volkov, the Bolsheviks, versus uh, our babyface team, Rick Martel, Tito Santana, Strike Force, Davy Boy Smith and the Dynamite Kid, the British Bulldogs, B, Brian Blair and Jim Brunzel, the Killer Bees, James. Jump Jumping Jim Brunzel. Sure. Uh, James <laughs> Rogu and Raymond Rogu, the Rogu brothers. Rougeau. Rougeau. James, <laughs> James Ragu and Raymond Ragu, the Ragu brothers. Uh, Jim Powers and Paul Roma, the Young Stallions. 
Jacques Rougeau and Raymond Rougeau. <laughs> Ragu brothers. That's funny. <laughs> that is funny, <laughs> Oh gosh. Oh, I don't who who let off the last segment? It's been so long. <laughs> Was it Chris? I think no, yeah, I think it's my turn to lead. All right. Uh oh. good luck, Warren. No. So I really don't have much on this match. Um it was a lot of people. The the hard camera was useless for the first half of the match. Uh this was the longest match of the night, 37, almost 40 minutes. Um the faces go over, strike force, uh, team strike force goes over. Not strike force. No. Team Strike Force, but not Strike team, Force. Yeah, Team Strike Force, where it's the bees, killer bees, and the young stallions. Um, the only person in this match that I really had zero feelings about it was Jim Powers. Um, I just didn't. I don't know. I didn't know. Didn't know much about him. Uh, I'm I'm okay with Paul Roma, Strike Force, uh, Bulldogs, Bees, Rujos. Everybody on the heel side, Jim Powers just really didn't do anything for me. Um, I always wanted an English Bulldog because of uh, Matilda, the uh, the mascot for the British Bulldogs. Um, it was hard for me to see the Rougeaus here as faces. I they always I thought they were forever heels in my eyes. Same thing with um, with Rick Martel. Uh, he'll later to go later go on to be Rick the model Martel, um, but seeing him as a face is kind of weird. And then there's just so many people in the apron. That's really all I had. It was a lot of the same, where it's rest holds and wrist locks and uh, working holds and tags, and there was, that was just the whole match. Yeah, Chris. So, this match, already, I knew, I was like, there's way too many tag teams. There's way too many. Too many of them up there. Um, it did, it was hard to, to, to follow and to keep track of everybody. You know, the hard cam, like Warren said, it was useless. Because there's just so many people on the apron. Um, Heart Foundation... Big fan of Hart Foundation. They, Bret Hart is my favorite wrestler of all time. Um, big fan of tag team wrestling. Uh, it was weird seeing them as heels, but you know that's how the Hart Foundation kind of started out. They were heels first before they turned face. Um, I don't think they turned face until they were going to win the tag titles from Demolition, right? At SummerSlam. That's like... That sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. It's all... We're still probably, don't quote me, that might be the SummerSlam 88. Yeah. First SummerSlam. Um, but, we, you know, we're still, you know, right. Half like year a year away. away. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I really don't have that many notes for the match. Um, really, my only notes were there were way too many tag teams in this match and never headbutt a Samoan. 
Um, there's someone who headbutts, tries to headbutt Haku and soon pr- pays the price. And I think they, <laughs> they uh, even uh, Monsoon said something, alluded something to it. He said, never headbutt a South Islander. They, you know, it's something about like their heads are thicker than coconuts or something or other. Something real racist. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, he's, then he's, Jesse he's, kept calling Tito Santana Chico. Yeah, Chico oh, Santana. <laughs> and Monsoon is like, you you probably shouldn't say that on television. He's like, no, 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 Chico. Chico. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You know, Chris. You You're going to be a governor at some point, so it's fine. Dad would say that too about Tito Santana. You call him Chico? You call him Chico. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's where he got it from. Maybe. <laughs> um, Dugan Lee, huge Jesse Ventura fan. <laughs> dad always dad always had a thing for the heels oh dad loved the heel dad loved he loved heels and he loved the villains and like cartoon like megatron was his favorite transformer he loved yeah. megatron loved cobra commander he just like he, he's, he's a bad guy he's he loves why dugan and i always got along <laughs> um i didn't know was something else in it oh demolition axe Looked the same to me. Mm-hmm. Smash, though, looked a little different. I don't know if I was kind of thinking, like, is this a different Smash? Or is he just like, is this so long ago? Like, maybe he was roided up and like he looks a little bigger, but he doesn't, it doesn't look like the same guy that would later go on to become uh, the Repo Man. So, Smash, uh, early days, Smash was definitely a big guy uh and he didn't slim down until he became repo man right hmm. so who is uh bray wyatt's father is that correct no no oh that's irs no. i'm thinking of that's irs yeah same shit <laughs> repo taxes it's all the same um also it's fun to see that there was um you know uh, Paul Roma was here at the 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 what was it the the Italian stallions right young stallions, young stallions. Young stallions. Paul Roma's here with the young stallions. We saw Hercules Hernandez in an earlier match. They would later become Power and Glory, much um, better version of Paul Roma too. Is Power and Glory? Yeah. Oh yeah. That's how I know Paul Roma. I didn't even know he was in this other tag team called the Young Stallions. I had no idea, and I didn't know who the other guy was. Never hoid them, but exactly. <laughs> never hoid them. And uh, the finish with the killer bees with the old mask switcheroo, I thought that Ugh. was brilliant. Um, Taking a point away. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> I just I thought that was brilliant. It's a nice little. It reminded me of how the um, the Bellas used to do the old twin switcheroo. And just, you know, give a little confusion to the ref, you know, throw on a mask and s- slide in the ring, fresh body, get the quick roll up, you know, it's just, you know, little, little, little tag team tricks that can help you sneak a match away. I was always a fan of, um, and not enough. I felt like Bret Hart didn't get in the match at all. I feel like Bret was very underutilized in this him and Davey very, did have a little, it's a very young Bret Hart. Yeah. Very young Bret. Um, him and Davey did have a little hit, go at each other. Um, 
and it felt very like this was Brett. I think him and uh, Davey took this time to like show that Brett has like you know standalone potential outside of the tag team. It felt like they they were using that time to help Brett show off a little bit. Um, they've definitely run that. I it felt. Um, their moves in that match have definitely been run before. Like that was like, we're going to do old faithful. And then they did like their little combination um, of moves before they had to get out of there. But I did enjoy that, but I felt like Brett needed to get in a match a little bit more. Anvil got in a lot. Anvil was in a lot. Um, but yeah, the, 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 the faces uh, team strike force takes the win. Thanks to the killer bees. And just, yeah, that was it. That was the tag team survival match. So full disclosure, uh, Chris, as you just went over the, how the, the match ended, yeah, I definitely didn't. I definitely would knocked out for the end of this match uh, and did not. You were what? I didn't see it. What? I had zoned. I had dozed off at the some point in this tag team match and woke up to what we're going to talk about next and – couldn't figure out if it was a different show or if I, I don't know. I thought the thing was over. I don't know. I didn't know what was going on when I woke up and saw what we're going to talk about next because I missed the entire end of that tag team Survivor Series match. Okay. Okay. So as I was going to say about this match is I, I think they got dangerously close to telling a fantastic story here. And why I think that is we had a few teams that were way over. Mm-hmm. And they were trying to bring some young up and coming teams over. And I think they just chose the wrong teams. Which teams would you think? Which teams are you referring to, I guess? So the Killer Bees and the Young Stallions won this pay-per-view, correct? Right. I think the teams that should have went over should have been Demolition and the Heart Foundation. Mm-hmm. So if you take the whole match and flip it to where the Heart Foundation and the the and Demolition wins, even with the same like weird mask freakout, I think it it goes over a lot well because it's a it's a heel tactic right right and that i think that goes back to my earlier statement it seemed like the faces were doing more heel tactics in this than the actual heel teams which is just it's interesting it's an interesting take on it why they would do that um right i don't know that and um I wasn't a huge fan of any of the teams on the babyface side outside of the Bulldogs, I guess. All the other ones are take them or leave it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, let's go in the same way. Like Strike Force, I don't really care. I think they were better singles wrestlers anyway than together. Right. I would um, agree with that. I don't. I don't really care for the Killer Bees. And then the, who else was the it? Killer Bees were also not in this match for a very, very long time. I don't know if you noticed that as well. 
Like there what was a mean? solid 25 minutes where neither one of them got in the match. Oh, really? Well, I didn't. This was a long one. This was really, really long. Like everyone yeah. got in and had to do an arm bar and a drag and all that. And then it took well, a it while. Well, it seemed like the, the Stallions the were in the match like the entire time. And yeah. if you ask me how the Ragu brothers did. <laughs> the um, Rougeos. You know, I don't. I don't really even ever remember them being in. I think they got in less than the bees. Well, they they were eliminated so quickly, right? Either way, they, either way, yeah. That's. I think the match went on way too long. There were way too many teams, and you know, it was whatever. We have our main event next, but before we get to the main event, we have what I I think was the best. <laughs> Part of the entire show, which was. <sighs> All right, let me backtrack a little bit. So I was thinking in my head, I, I knew the card at this point. And, I, you know, me being not the most knowledgeable wrestling fan from the late 80s, but thinking to myself. Where is the million dollar man? Where is Ted DiBiase? He's got to be somewhere. And why isn't he here? This is a this is a big time pay-per-view. Like, why wouldn't they bring out all the stars? Let me tell you, we found out what Ted DiBiase's doing, and <laughs> it's fantastic. It, it, it's great. <laughs> it's fantastic. So this starts out oh. with a promo of Ted DiBiase basically wagering money to children to perform tasks and when they don't complete these tasks he takes the money away from them and laughs in their face the first one being he challenges a kid to do 10 push-ups he does nine and a half and then he kicks the kid and tells him he doesn't get any money it's not a participation trophy <laughs> because he didn't do 10 push-ups classic i mean ten. he didn't yeah classic and then ten. The next promo, he uh, asks a kid to dribble a basketball 10 times in a row. The kid gets to nine, and then DiBiase kicks the basketball out of his hands. Doesn't give him any money, obviously. <laughs> didn't didn't get to the, didn't meet the requirement to get the money. He didn't. Uh, next, he asks a audience member to bark like a dog, which I don't even remember how this one ends, but they didn't get any money, I'm sure. Yeah, I don't and think so. Then he wins a match, takes off his boots, and then drags an audience audience member out to kiss his feet, which the audience member does. And then I, I still don't think he gave him any money. I, I don't think so. Yeah. I, <laughs> there's, a, there's a little trend going on in this. Why? Yet. But you, you it, see that. And then at the public pool, he pays an ungodly amount of money to kick a bunch of children out of a pool so he can swim in it. My, que <laughs> my question is twofold. First being, why, why do Ted DiBiase and Virgil want to swim in a public pool alone together? Secondly, <clears throat> if... Ted DiBiase, the million dollar man, as he claims, is so rich. 
why doesn't he just own a pool? Why does he have to buy a public pool? I thought that was a little concerning. Well, now he owns that public pool. It's his pool because he paid for it. It's, you know, it's a, it's, but he only, he only owns it for the afternoon though. I think he wanted to show just to show the audience at home how st- powerful the almighty dollar is. Right. That if he wants something, he's going to get it right then and there because Everybody has a price for the million dollar man. That is correct. Everyone does, in fact, have a price. I I understand the logic. I mm-hmm. don't necessarily agree with it. I just, you know, public pools are disgusting. Like, why? They are disgusting. Nobody spend all the, about the. You're gonna spend all this money so you and Virgil can have a fact private alone can... time in a. He's proving he's that, you know, pool? people like, will do I mean, these, these crazy cool. things. Cool, man. For Nobody what, in 1987 you know, thought public pool. There, there was at least 15 kids in that pool, and I guarantee you 15 kids peed in that pool. <laughs> so you're, you're telling me that he just paid almost $1,000 to rent out a... a hole in the ground filled with chlorine water and children piss children's pee pee yeah children's pee that's exactly and what he did this is the person that is a, the million dollar man mm-hmm. in 1987 people were not thinking about children urinating in the pool and it being this huge thing yeah you're right kids urinating is definitely a millennial thing for sure no (laughs) i'm not saying that it didn't happen but the mentality of people in 1987 was a lot different than we can look back on it now it wasn't stopped like it wasn't Stopping somebody from going in a pool, it's just, oh, the chlorine will probably take care of it or whatever the case. Um, right, so Warren, Warren let, me, let, me, let me pose this to you. Okay. So me, Marty McFly, and the doc hop in the DeLorean. We scoop mm-hmm. you up. We mm-hmm. fly back to 1987. We give you $900. We say, Warren, what are you going to do with it? And you go, I'm going to go rent out a public pool at four o'clock in the afternoon on Tuesday. <laughs> That's reasonable to you? For 1987? Everybody's got a price. The, the more shows we do, the more I feel like you and I are on opposite ends of the spectrum in life. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I I do want to throw in. Um, I kind of teased this to you guys before we started our our episode here, but there is a future wrestler that was, was took part in one of these million dollar man challenges, and it was the guy that was in the ring and kissed the foot of the million dollar man. That man was from 
Battle Creek, Michigan. Battle Creek, Michigan. That man was Rob Van Dam. I did know that. RVD? Wow. I did know that. He was the young gentleman that kissed the million dollar man's foot after that match. Wow. 420 blaze it, I guess, right? Oh, listen. If somebody was going to do it, might as well have been Rob Van Dam. Huh. I just I don't know what to think anymore. My life's been turned upside down. <laughs> um, but for this this promo here, I want to say this is still early days in Million Dollar Man. Um, so this is post WrestleMania three, which Million Dollar Man was not on the card for WrestleMania three. I don't know if if he was even in the company at that time. Um, but to go through and see all of these classic Million Dollar Man promos. The buying the pool, buying the pool, the the challenges he was doing with the people from the audience, just everything that he does promo wise was top notch stuff. It was entertaining. It was uh, just it just top notch, top notch, top notch, top notch. Uh, Chris, how do you feel about the uh, Million Dollar Man promos? Uh, I thought, I actually thought it was a little odd. It's an odd spot for the promo, especially since he wasn't on the pay-per-view. Like, it wasn't leading up to a match. It wasn't, I don't know. I just didn't understand how it really served him here. Um, There was no trash talk of him, you know, for an upcoming match. It was just Million Dollar Man doing million dollar man things and just like you're being, gonna a, watch being a dick yeah and it's like i mean it was funny watching all these people do things for you know he's gonna give him this little kid like 50 bucks and like dribble basketball and he like fucks it up like that was great that was classic million dollar man you know but i just thought it was a weird weird placement like this it seemed like something that you should do on you know superstars or on a you know main event Saturday night or you know I don't know what a Tuesday night Titans like something like on your weekly show like save that vignette for that where you do all your vignettes you know right I I agree I uh, wrote in my notes that the time between the tag team elimination match and our main event was very long yeah. Lost a lot of steam. And people in, I wonder what the dark match was, because I don't think people in the stadium saw that vignette. So I wonder what they were doing. I don't know. Hard to say. Um, but yeah, no, it was way, way, way too long of a time. Because I remember when the, the tag team match ended, it we were at like one hour, 50 minutes. And I was like, geez, this main event match is going to be an hour long. And I was like, oh, no, we have a 30-minute Million Dollar Man promo. <laughs> if there was if there was a knock to make about the Million Dollar Man promo being put in that spot, it would have to be that it was just ridiculously long. There was such a long delay between the, the tag team Survivor Series match and the main event with the promo and 
Jesse and and Gorilla talking again. Um, I'm not sure what the delay was, but it took a long time to get to that main event. Oh, hey, speaking of which, did you guys see the uh, Apollo Crews match on uh, Friday Night SmackDown? I did not. Oh, it's because he hasn't had a match on SmackDown. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I knew it was I knew it was a setup. I knew Does it have anything to do with what we're talking about here? We're talking about Survivor Series 1987, and you want to slander Cruz. Uh, ring the bell. Ringing the bell. All right. So for our main event of the evening, we're going to have team number one versus team number two. That's actually what I wrote in my notes. So we're going to go with that. (laughs) Team number one consists of Butch Reed, King Kong Bundy, Andre the Giant, Rick Rude, and the one man gang versus team number two of Bam Bam Bigelow, Don the Rock, Morocco. Mm-hmm. Hulk Hogan, Ken Patera, and Paul Orndorff, who is a personal favorite of mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, the heel team of Andre the Giant won this match. I have a few thoughts, but I th- want to kick it to Chris first. Thoughts on the match? So, uh, this match was interesting. Because you got Andre, and he's so huge, right? He makes one man gang, one man gang, who I like. I like his other gimmick as Akeem the African Dream. Um, but one man gang and King Kong Bundy are two very, very large men. But next to Andre the Giant, they look like children. And I just, I could not, I couldn't be, I couldn't not be aware of that just the entire match. Like seeing Andre standing on the apron and just comparing him and his size to King Kong Bundy, who's a giant man, and One Man Gang, who's a giant man. It just, and Bam Bam Bigelow as well, also big guy, looks like a child next to Andre the Giant. Just, that was the whole thing I was focused on. The entire match. Um, also, big Bam Bam Bigelow. I didn't know Bam Bam Bigelow was a face at one point mm. in his career. Yes. It was a very yeah. interesting thing to me. Um, I've only known Bam Bam Bigelow as a heel. He had that great music where he just said his name over and over again. He would come out <laughs> with Luna Vuitton. That's not, I, I liked it. I really did like Bam Bam. Bam Bam. Bam, bam, doom. Very ominous. Yes. I really liked it. Um, I didn't like the finish to this match because, well, let me clarify what I didn't like. I don't mind that Andre the Giant and his team won. That's fine. I think the heel victory was a good call. What I didn't like was Hogan coming back out to the ring and getting to do his poses. I was, you lost the match. Why is your theme playing? Why are you doing your poses for the crowd? You lost. You got disqualified. You had to go back. Like, it's over. Stay in the back. Let Andre have his moment. 
I just thought that was very selfish. I don't know. I just didn't. And if you wanted Hogan to have his pose off, just why not have Andre get sent to the back? Or why not have, I mean, you can't have him, have him pin him because you're, the whole pro- purpose of this was to build to the WrestleMania where he's going to slam Andre. But this is after WrestleMania three. This is after that. I think they do it again, don't they? Don't they do it again? Uh, no, four at four is when they they did the uh the tournament, the title tournament where Macho Man um wins the, the tournament. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, I don't know what they were built. Then I don't know what they were building for. If they already had the match, I thought there was going to be one more. Like they kept making it seem like this was. You know, gonna be Andre's retribution and or his revenge on Hogan, and then they were like teasing it the entire time because they never actually, they never got their hands really on each other. Yeah. So the the rematch that they have with Hogan and Andre is on a Saturday night's main event, and Andre's health is kind of is really deteriorating by the time they got their hands on each other again. Yeah. And uh, so Andre wins with uh, this is when they do the double Hebner spot. So the Hebner that you see on WWE television prior to this double Hebner spot is the other brother. That's Dave Hebner mm-hmm. the other twin. Earl debuts at this at this thing and. uh you know, Hogan looked like he's seen a ghost where these two happeners that look exactly the same in storyline. It was the million dollar man paid to get the plastic surgery for this guy to look like Dave Hebner. <laughs> um, so Andre wins the match and he hands the title to the million dollar man to be the world heavy world wrestling federation heavyweight champion. Jack Tunney doesn't like it. Jack Tunney was the president of the World Wrestling Federation at the time, and he strips the Million Dollar Man of the title and sets up the WrestleMania Four tournament mm. to where Macho Man gets the the victory. Okay, well, there's that. I just <laughs> thought, I don't know. I just thought it was silly. Like the, you're teasing them, not touching each other, and then okay, fine, they don't get their hands on each other yet. But then Andre wins. Let Andre let it be a heel victory. But no, Hogan comes back out, tries to get Andre. Andre runs, and then Hogan gets the pose. Like, no, I don't think that's no. Get no. You lost, Hogan. You lost. Um other than that, I don't think I have any other real notes on it. I mean, I just said I really like Hogan doesn't shouldn't get the pose off. He lost. That's really all I wrote. <laughs> I mean, the match as a whole was it was okay. Um, you know, I don't know. It, I just I think Bam Bam was moving real good for for a man of his size. Um, Bundy too. Bundy was moving really spry too. I he did a couple moves that I didn't think that were in his arsenal. And I was like, he did like a knee drop and like something else, and I was like, oh wow, he's like. He's getting some stuff off. Um, and uh, Andre, it was visible that Andre was hurting. He, every time on the, when he's on the apron, he's like leaning 
heavy on the ropes. And when he does get into the ring, it's like, we need to get over to the corner so I can like put my weight on these ropes. Like he, there was not a lot of, uh, middle of the ring stuff with Andre and he was stayed real close to the ropes and on the apron so that he could hold himself up because his back was probably just on fire the entire time. Um, but yeah, Andre gets the win there. All right. Well, yeah. So Warren, (laughs) what do you think? Um, I, uh, a couple notes that I had on the match. I thought Don Morocco looked massive in this match. He, he looked humongous in this. Um, he was on a good cycle. Oh, he was, he was for sure. Um, if Rick rude is in a match, he is going to sell an atomic drop. (laughs) He does listen. Nobody sells an atomic drop quite like Rick Rude, and and to further prove that, there is a Twitter account that shows clips of Rick Rude selling these atomic drops, and they are <laughs> all amazing. Um, what Chris and it's not Chris's fault. He was literally months old when this happened. But if he goes back to watch anything during the Hulkamania era, there's one thing that is for sure, and that is Hogan must pose. (laughs) So no matter what happens in the main event, no matter what happens, Hogan wins, loses, smudge finish, whatever the case, Hogan is going to come out, give them what they want, and pose for the audience so they go home happy. And this is exactly this is the epitome of that because he gets disqualified or gets counted out. Then it's all up to Bam Bam against the rest of the uh rest of the heel team, which was ended up being it, it was, was Bundy, Bundy Gang and Bundy, Andre. Yeah, Bundy One Man Gang and Andre the Giant against Bam Bam Bigelow. And put up a good effort. Eliminated Bundy, eliminated one-man gang, but Andre's not going to let that happen, and uh, it was just a little too much. But then Hogan ran back in, gave uh, Andre a couple shots, and then you know he's got to do his thing, got to pose for the for the crowd, so everybody goes home happy. Um, you were mentioning the size of people, uh, Chris. Mm-hmm. Uh, one-man gang was listed at six nine. 450 pounds. Uh, Bundy was about 450 pounds at 6'4". Bam Bam Bigelow was about 400 pounds at 6'4". And like you said, they all looked uh, rather slight compared to Andre the Giant. It's crazy. Yeah. (laughs) I... I I dislike this main event for so many reasons. <laughs> oh, do tell. The the first of which is I I was so excited to see Hogan in this match and he was barely in the match. Like he came in, got got his uh, you know, few moves in and then he just gets counted out like a moron. And that was it. Um 
I thought I was excited to watch Paul Orndorff, and I thought every time he gets in, does anyone give a stiffer right cross than Paul Orndorff in the business? I think it's up there. It it looks like it hurts so hard every time. Um, I think Macho Man Randy Savage is the second biggest heel in this pay-per-view. I think Hulk Hogan's the biggest heel. <laughs> not, you want to talk about somebody, somebody's moveset never changing. Hogan's moveset, outside of the one time he fought the Great Muda in Japan, his moveset never changed. Heel, face, so, he was ripping your eyes out. He was scratching your back. He was taking liberties. That was his move set from Jump Street. So he he beats himself, right? Gets angry, comes out, hits the winner with it with the championship belt, and then proceeds to pose in the ring for twenty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Hogan must pose, brother. Hogan must pose. So, if if I will, let, let let's leave oh. the pay per view with a quote from the poet laureate Rick Derringer. He says, and I quote: "When it comes crashing down, and it hurts inside, <laughs> I am a real." American. I fight for the rights of every man. I am a real American. Fight for what's right. Fight for your life. <laughs> they don't they don't call him for no reason. Uh. Oh boy! All right, so the the scores are very very close here. So I think we, our awards before, at before we get to the scores, I have to check in with our uh, regional correspondent, who is notably not a uh, Hulk Hogan fan. But uh, let's check in with the Iron Sheik. Thank Whoa. you. Iron. Whoa, Sheik. This is a family show. Jeez. <laughs> Sorry about that, folks. You, you know, I didn't think of that, but he makes a good point. <laughs> yes. And if you if you need more Iron Sheik uh giving Hulk Hogan slander, please go to his Twitter page because <laughs> he will find any reason to <laughs> to uh degrade uh, Hulk Hogan. Let me while you're looking at the scores, I'm going to see if I can pull one up. <laughs> well, Warren, you're st- you're still part of this because we have to give our awards for the night. Oh, go ahead. That's going to impact the scores. So, okay. Oh. Should, well, you know, I'll be first. Uh, I'm going to give... hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm the host, Christopher. All right, fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, real. I just found two really good Iron Sheik tweets. Uh, here we go. From seven hours ago, right at the time of this recording, Hulk, and he types in all caps, mind you, Hulk Hogan, you are worse than the NFC East. Much worse. <laughs> wow. And, and two, two hours after that, 
Hulk Hogan is still worse than the effing Jets, enough said. And he has a picture of Hogan and his daughter, Brooke, wearing Jets attire. <sighs> the Iron Sheet. If if we could ever get a guest on our show, that oh boy. that's it. If anyone, I, has, if anyone has the contact information for Iron Sheik, please reach out. Tell him we would love him on our podcast. And, well, the Iron Sheik or Bobby the Brian, one or the other. Well, we can't get Bob Bobby the Brain Heaton because he is no longer with us. Yeah, he died. Of what camp. about the What about the Brian? Another tweet from the Iron Sheik, Hulk Hogan. I love you, brother. <laughs> you are the you are the real, not a jabroni. But then he has the thing under it where it says official sources state that. This is false and misleading. <laughs> wow. Please go follow him at uh, at the Iron Sheik. At wow. the underscore Iron Sheik, please. <laughs> All right. So to get back on track here, let's give our awards out for the evening. So the uh, Cream of the Crop Award, Warren? Uh, yeah. Uh, no, play, the, play the drop first. We uh, The Cream of the Crop! I I tried to not do it, but the tag match with 77 guys and then the main event where Hogan must pose, the cream of the crop for me the cream of the crop. is the women's Survivor Series match. Uh, the Glamour Girls, uh, Sensational Sherry, and the Jumping Bomb Angels were enough for me to give that match the cream of the crop. Award. Yeah. All right. Uh Chris. Yeah. Um so I am not giving the, the cream of the crop award to a match. I am just giving it to the jumping bomb angels. They are the best part of this entire pay-per-view. Um, they are amazing in the ring. They are good at what they do. They outshined, outshone, outshined, outshined outshined every single uh performer talent that stepped in that ring that night and that is including hogan and andre the giant and macho man um jumping bomb angels you are our saving grace for SummerSlam 87 so thank you this is your moment of glory there you go so I was literally hovering over that button because I also wanted to say that the Jumping Bomb Angels were definitely in, in my moment of glory. their moment of glory. That's for right. This, for this pay-per-view, I should say. All right. My cream of the crop award is going to go to the uh, Million Dollar Man promos. <laughs> <laughs> the cream of the crop. <laughs> <laughs> with the snorting I, I, I thought they were the best parts of the entire pay-per-view I thoroughly enjoyed it anytime a million dollar man can you know make kids cry gets my vote definitely definitely number two I would say easily number two for the pay-per-view alright so our next award will be the uh, right bananas I, I really couldn't give that to anything. Um, it's hard to give something a right bananas when 
I mean, it's not. I'm not going to give it to the same match that I gave it to the cream of the crop. But uh, the right bananas, none of all these bananas would have been uh, well done by the time and ready to eat by the time uh, these matches were finished. So you're just not going to give out uh, right bananas. I, I, there's, no, there's nobody. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think anyone really needs the right bananas. No, Actually, there's nothing. There was nothing ripe about any of these yeah. bananas. But what I will do is I will give a uh, shout out to the hardest working manager in in wrestling. That air horn shout out goes to Jimmy Hart. He was all over this pay-per-view working hard, taking bumps. Uh, you know, he's just Jimmy Hart is the man. If you don't know, he was in he was in every promo up until the main event promo. Yeah, he's just, you know, class act. Hardest working manager in, in sports entertainment. Mouth of the South. Would have been game. a good pick for the cream of the crop, honestly. Right? He was up there. I just, I stick by it, man. Jumping bomb angels, beat him out. Yeah. Absolutely. Out. Absolutely. Okay, so uh, my ripe bananas is going to go to uh, the one man gang. <laughs> I'd love to hear that exclamation because towards the end of the match right before he was pinned i i am 99.9 percent sure he took a poop in his pants <laughs> <laughs> like i i paused the pay-per-view twice uh, and he's on the top rope and then all of a sudden like there's Something moving around in his pants, which I think it's poop. So, uh, yeah, my right bananas or my right poop bananas go to the one man gang for pooping himself during the first Survivor Series. Amazing. Which brings us to the final grades. So, Christopher. On a scale of one to five woos, how many woos do you give 1987 Survivor Series? Uh, I'm I'm gonna give this a two and a half woos. Um, not the best pay per view. Again, can't praise them enough. Jumping Bomb Angels and Jimmy Hart are the saving grace of this pay per view. They're very fun to watch throughout the entire thing. Um, I don't know. I mean, not saying that the other matches weren't didn't have their moments where they were good. You no, know, there were some good technical wrestling and mat skills, but I don't know. It just kind of fell f- kind of flat for me. All right, Warren. I I'm going to give this a hard two. Two woos for this one. Um, I mean, Chris Chris did a nail, hit the nail on the head. Jumping Bomb Angels, Jimmy Hart. Um, I'd even throw in the Glamour Girls uh, with their mood, with their performance. Um, was really the saving grace to this pay per view. Uh, the rest of it. Oh, and the Million Dollar Man promo that 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 brought it back up, even though it was it was a tad long, but that that brought it back up for me. Um, this just wasn't it was the first survivor series 
They were still trying to figure stuff out. The later ones in in uh, you know eighty nine ninety uh, were much better put together Survivor Series. They went down to four to a team. Uh, they did the sole survivor match at the end, which had made sure it had everybody, you know, working towards something. Um, those will be much better, uh, pay-per-views and better survivor series to, uh, to watch and, and get through. This one was just, this was just a drag a little bit. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, as far as I go, I'm going to give this a 2.5. Lose. 2.5. And I, you know, the two loses for the pay-per-view itself, you know, I, I don't think there wasn't any part of this that, like, I actually hated and couldn't watch, but I would also say there's there was zero parts of this where I was, like, really excited and, you know, thought it was really good the majority of it just kind of like soldiered on and to me there was no highs or lows just kind of like oh okay well i watched that and here's the next thing and you know here's that and all right uh the point five comes from the fact that it's the first survivor series i think that needs some recognition of the fact that like they they tried something new they brought about this new concept which you know ended up working they just need a little time to work through it so um, I did enjoy it. I wouldn't say I, I thought it was the best one we've watched. I, I think it's by far the worst one we've watched so far. Agreed. But, you know, it for being, it, you know, the runtime is two hours and 45 minutes. I, I think if you really want to burn through it, you could probably burn through it in about two hours and 15, maybe two hours. There's worse things you could watch in two hours. That's all I'm going to say. So, yes. And I think um, at some point soon, just with the whole Vince wanting people to watch Survivor Series and not watch Starcade, I think we need to go back and watch Starcade 87 just to, as a comparison piece to this. I like it. Oh, I completely think. agree. Yeah. All right. So uh, with that being said, we have to crown a winner for the show. It was uh, very tight. Uh, neck and neck the entire time. By a score of 10 to 9. Oh, boy. My winner is uh, Mr. Chris Lee. Congratulations. There we go. I'll take it. I think I'm more I'm more pleased with not ending up in uh, a trivia tiebreaker like we have in the past. <laughs> oh, thank thank that God! The last time you hosted. <laughs> oh boy, that was that was great radio by all means. Warren, you did have twelve points, but you said a few things that pissed me off, so I oh no knocked, knocked you down a few times. Whoa! What what set you off? I don't remember, but you had, you had twelve points, and I crossed out three of them, so must have something. Okay, all right. Well, I'll just you know. So you know, my advice is play to your audience. I guess I don't know. I guess so. It's something I'll uh, I'll work on next time. 
All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for tuning in this week. Uh, We'll be back next Wednesday with another mini episode. I do want to give all all the sign-offs that we have so you know where to follow us on every single social media platform. On Instagram, we are on Triple R Pod. On Facebook, we are Triple R Pod. On Twitter, Chris, do you know where we're at? Uh, it's triple R pod bingo <laughs> website is triple R podcast.com. If you want to send us an email, it is the real triple R podcast at gmail.com. That's right. And make sure to rate review and subscribe on all of your favorite podcast streaming apps. We should be on every single one of them. We're on Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, we're on stitcher. We're on Spotify. Um, and you can find us on Podcast Addict. Um, and leave us a comment, rate, review, subscribe. Leave us a comment on our website. Come visit our Facebook page. Send us some kind words if you want us to. If there's a pay per view that you really want us to check out that you really have strong feelings about, let us know, and maybe we'll do it. Yeah, we need those sweet, sweet, sweet five star reviews so anyone that could put those up through for us would be fantastic and uh i'd i'd be as brazen to say if you give us a five-star review and you put a pay-per-view in there we'll talk about it oh yeah plenty plenty of options to talk about you know as long as it doesn't feature apollo cruz (laughs) or hacksaw jim duncan or hacksaw or the hacksaw oh jesus (laughs) Oh, Pilch is that being said, (laughs) it's been a lot of fun, gentlemen, and uh, I'll see you all in a couple of days. Have a great evening. See you guys. Adios.